Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. Thank you so much for tuning in to Far Rock Live this Friday, November 21st. This is your host, Shirley, and today I am most honored to have as my guest, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, author of the ISIS paper, The Keys to the, the, Keys to the Colors. She is a Washington, D.C.-based psychiatrist and race theorist who rocked the field of cultural and behavioral science with her first book um, in, 1990, in 1970 entitled The Crest Theory of Color Confrontation and Racism. This striking theory of the origins of racism is rooted in the effects that varying degrees of melanin, melanin the color-producing pigment in the skin can have on racial perceptions and development. She concluded her crest theory of color confrontation by arguing that people of color must gain a better understanding of the behavioral maneuverings of whites in order to avoid being manipulated into subordinate positions. In her view, people of color need to liberate themselves psychologically from various forms of white domination. She also suggests that whites need to understand the motivation behind their behavior and explore with an open mind the emotional and psychological foundation of racism. And she authored a second book, which we'll discuss here on the show, entitled The the ISIS Papers. And i also like to say that the views and opinion of the guests on the show today is strictly that of the guests and do not reflect the views and opinion of the producers of the show, nor the principles of Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, Dr. Walsing. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Glad to be with you this evening. And it is such an honor to have you on the show today. So as you know, we're here to talk about your your, um, book, The ISIS Papers, as well as a myriad of other issues that affect African Americans today as a result of being oppressed by white supremacy. And um, so one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this issue, especially now during the confusing time with so much focus on racism with the um, election of Barack Obama as president, I think it's important for people to understand the premise of it and, again, to govern their lives accordingly, especially the young people today. So I don't think the series is about blaming the white man for everything, but it's about acknowledging the methods and acknowledging the foundation that's been laid centuries ago and still being built upon, whether consciously or unconsciously. Well, I do. I certainly think that it's not a matter of blaming as much as it is making an analysis of the problem that has beset black people and other people classified as non-white 
by people who classify themselves as white. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's like uh, if we're going to solve the problem of racism, and racism is white supremacy, and white supremacy is racism, this is a critical problem on the planet. It really is a bigger problem than the financial problems that we are now confronting. Mm-hmm. But if we are going to understand it, it means then that we are going to have to have an analysis of what the problem is, a definition of what the problem is, so indeed it can be solved. Instead of running away from it, using the word racism, but not being willing to define exactly and specifically what it is that we're talking about. And as a psychiatrist, I understood as a psychiatrist and also as a black person, I understood that the mental health problems that black people face are totally related to the problem of racism, white supremacy. Mm-hmm. And so if black people are going to be helped in terms of mental health, they have to understand racism. And as you mentioned before, people who classify themselves as white need to understand the motivation behind their behavior instead of constantly being in a position of uh, some people, at least of apologizing, and I didn't really mean anything by what I said, uh, instead of having to take that position, really being able to understand what is the deep motivation. Absolutely. And on that note, I'd like to also say that the ISIS Papers is a collection of essays that was written over a period of time. And so I'd like to go to, um, I don't know if this is the order that they were written, but in the 20th chapter of the book, the one that speaks about black children. Could you speak a little louder, please? Okay, the essay that speaks about black children and the process of inferiorization. Yes. It was written in, in July, I'm sorry, June, about 74. Yes. You made a couple of astounding um, points in here. And one of the things that you talk about is uh, the, uh, any meaningful discussion of the survival or future of black people must be predicated upon black people's plan for the maximum development of, of all black children as children of any um, people are our future. Well, you know, I think that it might be important for me to share with your audience what I mean by racism, white supremacy. And I maintain that racism evolved as a major power construct on planet Earth because once people who classified themselves as white Uh, You can say beginning in the 15th century with Columbus uh, and circumnavigating the globe and other persons classifying themselves as white, circumnavigating the globe, coming out of Europe. And what they encountered was everybody on the planet had skins of color other than themselves. And they also were able to find out that if white men had sexual relations with non-white women, the children always ended up being colored. Mm -hmm. One shade of black or another shade of black, that was because of the genetic dominance of the ability to produce skin pigmentation. 
And I maintain they didn't have to, you know, set up a genetic institute. They didn't really have that much of an understanding of genetics per se. Mm -hmm. But they did realize that white people were a tiny, tiny minority of people on planet Earth and that the overwhelming majority, more than nine-tenths of the people on the planet, were black, brown, red, and yellow people, and those are just different genetically determined levels of melanin skin pigmentation production. And so they concluded, unless we control all of the people of color, then we could experience genetic annihilation on this planet. And I say that that's what racism is all about, racism, white supremacy. That's what it's all about. That is its internal logic. And as a result, because black people have the greatest potential to produce melanin skin pigmentation, and because it is males who can impose sexual intercourse, for example, Sally Hemings didn't impose sexual intercourse on Thomas Jefferson, it was the other way around. The third president was imposing sexual intercourse on his enslaved female Sally Hemings. Uh, so men can impose sexual intercourse. And so the war, racism at one level can be understood as a war about genetics and that uh, Males needed to be controlled more than females, and so racism is war against black people in general, but black males in particular. Mm -hmm. And this is why we have seen some of the behavioral phenomenon that we have seen in relationship to racism. I mean, we have gone through periods where large numbers of black men were lynched and castrated. And behind the accusation that they looked at a white woman or they spoke to a white woman or they thought they wanted to speak to a white woman. Uh, and the logic of that is attacking the part of the body, killing the black male, attacking the part of his body where the genetic material is, and that is castration. And we are continuing to see this. I mean, many people have said because a black man has now been elected to be the president-elect Barack Obama that this is the end of racism. Mm -hmm. Quite the contrary. I mean, this is why the newspapers and uh, other media are reporting that there have been many, many, many death threats against Barack Obama. And I maintain that consciously, subconsciously, it's like a black man being in charge of this area of the world and really in charge of the world in as much as the United States of America is considered to be the remaining superpower. Mm -hmm. And this is a black male who is titularly at the head of this superpower. And so we hear that there are all kinds of threats and attacks. He's had more threats than any president in the history of the United States. More Secret Service protection has been necessary. Now, people need to talk about this. 
Do you see we had news media spending a lot of time and energy talking about O.J. Simpson? Mm-hmm. I mean, more attention was given to O.J. Simpson than any other single individual. And I maintain that it had nothing to do with the fact of the accusation that he killed uh, his wife and her friend. It had to do with here's a black man who is married to a white woman and they had children of color. Now that is the theme, that is the subconscious theme that is critical to white genetic survival. And the reason that I say it had nothing to do with two people being killed, I believe that he did not do it. But there was another figure whose name was T.J., and who was he? He was the individual who was responsible, Timothy James McVeigh, mm-hmm. who was responsible for the Oklahoma City bombing and the death of, I believe, some 169 people. But you, you don't even hear anybody mention Timothy James McVeigh. His name has almost faded from discussion. Mm-hmm. He is a white male who killed, I believe, 169 people. But if you never hear his name mentioned, but you hear O.J. Simpson's name repeatedly mentioned, then we have to say, why is this? Absolutely. I have a question from someone in the chat room, and they're asking, how do we know when what we are saying or doing is truly effective encountering racism how do we know what we're doing whether we're we're being effective yeah what we're doing or saying is truly effective encountering racism well I think again one of the things that racism white supremacy uh, has attempted to do in its necessity to control people of color is to have black people demeaning themselves. We've just gone through a period where uh, because uh, certain persons who were entertainers were being paid large sums of money to call themselves niggers and to call black people niggers and dogs and gangsters and thugs and call women bitches and hoes, so that the system, to the extent that the system can cause black people to hate themselves and to demean and degrade themselves, then black people would be willing to participate in their own destruction. So I maintain that if black people begin to understand exactly and specifically what racism is and the kinds of things that begin to really neutralize racism, white supremacy, because I'm not talking about black people should engage in hating white people. That is a waste of mental energy. Definitely. That what we must do, it's really like a chess game. And chess, you know, you have a white side of the chessboard and a black side of the chessboard. White always moves first, so white is playing offense, defense. The black side of the chessboard has to play defense, offense. But to the extent that the black person playing the black side of the chessboard can decode the game that the white side of the chessboard initiates, 
then the black side of the chessboard, even though they're playing defense offense, they can be victorious. And I say that is analogous to what it is that black people must do. Black people have to understand because racism, white supremacy, in the past and in the present, teaches black people to demean and degrade themselves and to hate themselves. Why do I say that? All we have to do is turn on the television, and we see white, 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 blonde, white females, white, 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 white. Then if you get a channel that has some black people on it, they're being buffoons and clowns and acting in a demeaning and a degraded way. So that if black people do not understand racism, they begin to think, well, this is okay behavior, as opposed to this is demeaning and degrading behavior that really holds up the idea that white is superior. Absolutely. Um, Dr. Welsing, I have a caller on the line. Yes. Caller from the 702 area code. What's your name, please? And where are you calling Good from? evening. My name is Alonzo Fleming, and okay. it's just a pleasure to even uh, speak with this woman. <laughs> um, I read your book, The ISIS Papers, while in college back in the early 90s, and I thought you were completely insane <laughs> when I read the book. I yeah. said, ah, she just doesn't have anything else to do. Um, years later, I have a, uh, a graduate degree in physics, engineering physics, mm-hmm. and I released a book called The Devil's Advocate, A Spiritual Man's Case Against God. And after I completed the book, I was completely surprised as how, mu- uh, how much information that I put in that book that was from your book. You were right on point. I mean, completely right on point. And you know, Dr. Wilson, I wanted to say that in our community, we do not understand how science builds upon science. You know, if you study physics, you'll find Isaac Newton, Copernicus, Einstein. Mm-hmm. They build on each other. Mm-hmm. But what we do is disconnect ourselves from our scientists. And so when I read your book back in uh, uh, college, I said, this woman has lost her mind. This is absurd. You know, that's fascinating because I run into people all the time. I could be in an airport, train station, in the supermarket, and somebody will come up to me, aren't you Dr. Welsing? Yes, I am. You don't know me, but I heard you speak 20 years ago, or I read your book, and I knew you were crazy. Now I understand what you're talking about. So I've heard that repeatedly. And, you know, I just related to a set of new ideas. Mm-hmm. You um, know, I, I wanted to say that um, what the uh, thesis of my book, like, as I said, builds upon the ISIS papers and what the plan is, because the ISIS papers basically uh, exposes the plan in the methodology, one of the things that I do in, in the book that I wrote that actually incorporated a lot of, and I'm, I'm hoping I can get an address so I can send you a copy so you'll see what I'm talking about. I, use, I talk about how in the Bible, how, the Lord, how there are two visions of God. 
the the God in the Genesis story, Genesis chapter one, is the God of goodness, righteousness, love, etc., etc., etc. And then we go to chapter two, you see this upside down situation. And then once you understand it from that upside down situation, you discover the motive behind this quote unquote Lord God. And that's where you see all of the things you talked about about the golf ball and you know the different balls and what the you know you understand what I'm saying? The symbolism, symbolism. The symbolism yeah. behind yeah. all that stuff. And I'm like, this woman is right on point. Not because I discovered it, but because you were just on point anyway. So if you could give out an address or something, I'll be glad to send you a copy, but you can actually get it on Amazon dot com and I actually have you referenced in several places there. The uh, title uh, of your book is The Devil's Advocate, A Spiritual Man's Case Against God. And my name is Dr. Alonzo Fleming. Right, and, and I think um, you contacted me earlier this week or last week regarding your book. Yes, okay. yes, I may have because I've been trying to really get it out there and let people see that that, that a lot of the things that people that you know because we, we so called right. people. I, I, I really appreciate you calling in and sharing okay. that Okay, I'll just I'll type it in. Okay. Okay, do that. All right. Do that. Thank you for your thank call. You, thank you for your call. I appreciate it. He's he's hanging out in the chat room. Um, but do you think with what he was saying that people thought back then, oh, she must be crazy, you know, as outspoken as you were about racism and white supremacy, do you think now people are more acceptable and, and, and say, well, uh, yeah, I see what she's saying, because we, we're actually seeing it, we've lived it, and we're experiencing it, you know, today, even in the 21st century? Well, you know, I think that um, from the time that we were formerly enslaved as African people in this area of the world, uh, we sought to be emancipated and we sought to be accepted and integrated mm-hmm. into. Mm-hmm. And so, and because we didn't have an analysis of what the problem really was all about, because I maintain that slavery was a phase of the system of racism, white supremacy. But we didn't have an analysis. You know, we were really interested in getting the chains off and so-called freedom. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't we didn't really know what it is that you know what it was that we were dealing with mm-hmm. and so once you know the civil rights era and so there was a modification in certain of the practices within the system of racism and i think that some black people looked at my work as because it was analyzing the behavior of people who classify themselves as white, that this was going to be upsetting to white people and that white people were going to be angry. And so black people's response was fear as to what white people would do. Do you see if black people articulated uh, these concepts? So I think that that, that was a part of why some people, not everybody, but some people, reacted to what it is that I was saying. And basically, I had never written the essays, most of the essays in the ISIS papers. I didn't write those for the mass public. I never expected that anybody might be interested in the ideas beyond some of my colleagues, some of my black colleagues in psychiatry. Mm -hmm. Because in the 1960s, 
we were talking about racism. And so that's when I started writing about racism and thinking, well, these ideas might be of interest to maybe eight other people. <laughs> and lo and behold. <laughs> you see, I'd never had it in mind that there would be a mass group of people <laughs> who would be interested in these ideas. Now, I've, you know, received requests from people in France to have the book translated into French because the black people in France feel that this is the best explanation of what it is that they are experiencing and dealing with. And I've always taken the position if someone has a better explanation for why people who classify themselves as white do what they do, then I'll be glad to throw mine out. (laughs) You see, because the point is to have an understanding of what is actually happening. That's like, you know, let's say if you had five scientists who were investigating a certain form of cancer, Mm -hmm. and each person was carrying out experiments in their laboratory and discoursing on what they thought was the answer. Well, the question is, you know, at the end of a certain period of time, which one of the laboratories comes closest to coming up with the answers to solve a very critical problem? And so if it turns out to be the scientists in Laboratory C, it, if it, science should not be about egos, <laughs> So the scientists in the other four laboratories, if the scientists in in Laboratory C seems to have the most in-depth explanation so that they can go forward and begin to cure that particular form of cancer, then that's who we pay attention to. Absolutely. Um, I have a couple of questions in the chat room again. Yes. Um, One person is asking, uh, why should there be no sex between white people and non-white people? Why there should be no no sex between white people and non-white people? Well, you see, one of the things that, uh, you know, sex between white people and black people is nothing new. There was rampant sex, rampant, you know, rape of African women for hundreds of years by white males. So this was not anything new. But some people have thought that sex between black people and white people was going to solve the problem, meaning people would get closer. Okay, I have. uh, I also have two callers on the line. Uh, I have a caller. I'm I'm hearing a playback or something. Uh, Yes. Um, 404, can you turn down your system, please? Uh, Hello. Is this 404, area code? Yes, this is 404. Can you uh, name and where you're calling from? Uh, my name is Howard, Howard Barrett. I also do a, a show here on Blog Talk Radio. But Hi, Howard. Thank you for listening. No no problem. But the only comment that I wanted to make, uh, I, well, and I actually wanted uh, Dr. Welsing to uh, uh, possibly comment on this. I remember reading your book, Dr. Welsing, like I know it was close to 20 years ago. And one of the things that, struck me was the whole concept of white folk being really afraid of their own annihilation because of the fact that any time they 
did mate with someone of color, that they would end up having a child that would be of color, uh, a lighter hue, of course, and they were more or less afraid of their eventual eradication. But to me, I, I do understand, believe me, that thought process and probably you know the reason why why they probably felt that way. But don't you think, on the other hand, that it also dilutes our race to the extent that there is so much more commingling and if indeed uh you know they are afraid that they would no longer be pure neither would any other race and maybe the actual race mix mixing might and eventually be what solves the race problem well you see if you have people who control most of the power and and I would say that would be your white collective, that if their mindset is, I do not want to be genetically annihilated, and so I will use any means necessary to prevent that genetic annihilation. And I maintain that this is what we see happening. I mean, we have mass-level incarceration of black males, People are always talking about driving while black, walking while black, sitting while black, that they are attacked by maybe sometimes, many times, police officers. So this is what people have to deal with, or that fact that black people are going to inferior schools, black people have high levels of unemployment, so their families have a lesser opportunity to be stable and to be functional. Seventy percent of black children are born into single-parent households. You see, and this creates very serious problems for the development of black male young people who are dropping out of school. There are more black males in prison than there are in colleges. So things are... Go ahead. No, I I agree with you wholeheartedly in terms of the the rationale and the reasons behind it, and you're, you're absolutely right that they are the ones with the power, and so therefore they're trying to... Uh, they can impose. Right, right. But but what I'm saying is, is it, 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 it is there any way that we might be able to make them realize? That's what we're doing with this kind of conversation. Good. I like that. I like that. Good answer. <laughs> see, this is, I see, we have to talk about it because just think of um, the last time you may have heard the subject of racism talked about on the television, and somebody, it might be Sean Hannity or Bill O'Reilly or somebody, you're playing the race card. Yeah. So that race, race is, see, race is racism. Right. And racism is white supremacy. And so the power, people who are in a relative position of greater power, uh, if they can say, no, we're not going to talk about this subject because we don't want to look in the mirror. We don't want the mirror held up to our behavior. Now, we can talk about uh, black males going to prison mm-hmm. or black males using drugs, but you can't talk about our behavior. Right. You know, uh, along that particular point, one thing that I recall is the fact that 
there was this whole painting of people like Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton as the quote-unquote angry black man, uh, especially when uh, Barack Obama was running during the primaries. And also I, I recall that during when I was reading Barack Obama's book, uh, uh, Dreams from My Father, one of the things that he learned in his early years is that white folk won't dislike you if you're not angry. If you're, you know, if if you, and, and if you notice throughout the throughout the the primaries, he was always cool and calm, collected, regardless of what was thrown at him. And so this appears to be, as you say, the, the one thing about white folk. Yes, they understand that there's uh, a certain amount of racism that that goes on, and even even among those who profess to be liberal, but they don't want us to demand our rights. They want to give them to us in their own time. Well, see, again, <laughs> that that's not that would not be good enough for me. Oh, not, not good enough in, for in me other words, <laughs> I want to know as a psychiatrist, as the psychiatric physician, mm-hmm. what exactly are you worried about? So that this can be put on top of the table. I mean, this is what, you know, I do in the practice of psychiatry. I'm a general psychiatrist and child psychiatrist. And people come with their problems in terms of emotions, problems in terms of behavior. And it's my job to help them understand what are the dynamics behind the behavior that is appears to be dysfunctional. And we were trained in psychiatry. The role of the psychiatrist is to help people face reality even when they are afraid to do so. Because when you can't face reality, do, do you see, you yeah. are in very, very serious trouble. Well, you put it out there. I'm, I'm going to just listen to the rest of the show, and I thank you very much. Uh, this has been it's wonderful for me to just sit here and listen to you, and I'm I'm just glad that it's two hours instead of one. So, <laughs> well, listen. Thank you for your comments. Thank you for your call. Okay. I appreciate it. All right. Bye bye. Thank you. And we have a caller from the seven uh, four seven eight area code on the line as well. Go uh, right ahead. No, just listening. Just listening. Okay, he's just listening. He doesn't have a comment to make at this time. Okay, so, but in regard to what he was saying, I think as a collective group of people, we can change um, the system, albeit it won't happen overnight. Um, and you outlined a couple of things that we can do. As Well, first of all, we have to restore the black family. Well, see, some things you some things happen overnight. I mean, just think about Barack Obama being president. Most people thought that they would never see anything like this in their lifetime, but here it is. Right. Sooner than people thought they would see it, and so it's a question of understanding. When people begin to understand exactly and specifically what racism is and how even if black people just the system of racism white supremacy has to demean black people and have black people demeaning themselves and so you have black children end up saying things like uh if you're trying to learn and trying to study you're acting white meaning that they are thinking that to study 
means you're white. That means to be stupid means you're black. That's the association that they make, and that's how they behave. That's how they begin to act. Do you see, or because of the kind of programming that people pick up. I mean, children at age one and two are propped in front of television sets. And so they're seeing white, 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 white. And so if children in 2007, 2008, black children, are given white dolls and black dolls and little children, four and five years old are asked the question, which doll is the pretty doll? They pick the white doll. Which doll is the smart doll? They pick the white doll. Which doll is the bad doll? They pick the black doll. Which doll is the ugly doll? They pick the black doll. Very young children who, you know, couldn't define racism if their lives depended upon it, but they have been programmed by what they pick up from the culture, television, magazines, books, what they pick up from the television and what they pick up in their homes where people do not understand what has happened to them as a result of racism and white supremacy. Now, you told me that Neely Fuller was on your show, uh-huh. and Neely Fuller has a textbook for the victims of racism, Uh, so that people can read and understand the kinds of behaviors that will counter racism, white supremacy, and economics, education, entertainment, labor law, politics, religion, sex, and war. And he has one part of his book where he calls them the codification and stop, stop name-calling one another, stop cursing one another, stop squabbling with one another, Stop being discourteous and disrespectful to one another. Stop stealing from one another. Stop robbing one another. Stop fighting one another. Stop killing one another. Now, these seem like simple. Stop gossiping about one another. Stop snitching on one another for reasons of personal gain. These seem like very simple behaviors. But the very simple behaviors have a very powerful Impact. Absolutely. Do you see, that's like self-respect is more powerful than nuclear weapons. Absolutely. And so racism, white supremacy has taught black people to demean themselves and to negate themselves and to negate one another. When black people realize that this is what the system dynamic has done, and if they choose to, because it's not about somebody making a person not gossip, not name call. It's because individual people might decide, I would like to do something about replacing racism, white supremacy with justice so that there can be peace on planet Earth. And sometimes people who classify themselves as white will come and say, well, Dr. Wilson, what can I do to help? Absolutely. One of the things I say to them Tell black people what white people talk about when there are no black people around. See, now the kinds of conversation that people who classify themselves as white engage in with one another, and when a black person comes up, they will stop that conversation. That conversation is about the maintenance of racism, white supremacy. 
Do you see? So if people who classify themselves as white want to change the system, they will reveal. Do you see? But for the most part, you know, there may be black and white people in the workplace. White people are not coming and telling black people the decisions that are made about salaries, the decisions that are made about promotions, the decisions that are being made about being laid off, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Black people just know that they go to the job every day and they may go for 30 years and they don't have a promotion. Right. So we tend to assume that there must be a racist behind um, this system when, in fact, um, the problem is an effect of racism of the past, which I think I mentioned that before, but we need more than a comprehensive social solution to the problem instead of just fingering an individual. You know, because it's racist, it's built into our everyday lives. Politically. See, this is the understanding of a system. Mm-hmm. It is a total system construct right. that it's determines what is going to happen in economics, education, entertainment, labor law, politics, religion, sex, and war. And it's held together by specific patterns of thought, speech, action, and emotional response. And I also include perception, symbol formation. Logic. You see, and this is why it is very important to understand that there is logic to what people who classify themselves as white are doing. Definitely. Definitely. Logic and it's strategic. See, the logic is because we are fearful of white genetic annihilation and we must do whatever we need to do for white genetic survival. Now, you know, if I could wave a magic wand so everybody would get better, black people and white people, this would be what we are talking about nonstop until the problem is solved. So you can't have peace on a planet and the maximal development of all children. See, I want to I want to see white children developed to the highest level that they can possibly be developed, but also black, brown, red, and yellow children developed to the highest level of their genetic and constitutional potential. Absolutely. Bar none. Absolutely. One of the things that you talk about in your book is um, the analytical commitment, that the fear of black failure. Um, and you talk about circular thought and linear thought. And um, circular thought is moving from problem perception away from problem solution and back again to the problem uh, perception. So is that like knowing that there is a problem but don't doing anything about but not doing anything about because it? Because you're like afraid fear steps behavior. in. Yeah, absolutely. You see, and so then instead of the behavior moving in a linear way, problem recognition, problem solution, is problem recognition, but I'm afraid to do anything about it. I'm afraid to have people who classify themselves as white upset with me because they will kill you. Absolutely. See, black people, I would say 100% of black people are worried about Barack Obama being killed. Why? Because many of our leaders, many black people who stepped out of 
the confines that they were, you know, given. Stay in this box. Martin Luther King, no, I want to move towards justice. Okay, then we kill you. Malcolm X, kill. Think of all the black people who have been systematically killed. And children even recognize this. I talked to a black male child who might have been 10 or 11, and he was brought to a psychiatrist because he wasn't studying at school and wasn't doing his homework, etc. So I said to the child, sweetheart, don't you want to work hard in school so you can help black people? And the child said no. And I mean, he wasn't being rude or disrespectful. He said no. And I said, why not, sweetheart? He said, if you try to help black people, you will be killed. Mm. Now, when that comes out of the mouth of a child, why? Because, you know, children, sometimes people think that, you know, children are just blank. Children are aware they have uh, faculties to think, and they see and they think. Absolutely. I had a child not long ago come in, and so I was asking the parent, uh, what ambitions does your child have? What does he want to do in the future? And the mother said, sitting right in my office talking to me, he said he wanted to be president, but he knows a black person can't be president. Do you see now, and this was some time ago before Barack Obama even appeared on the scene, you see, but, and this is why the importance of Barack Obama uh, is that the ceiling has been lifted for many children who thought, well, I won't be able to do this or I won't be able to do this, and to realize they can, you see, but simultaneously that child or those children have to cope with their parents talking about their fear that some person classified as white is going to harm Barack Obama or pay some black person to harm Barack Obama. It's like children, you know, going to school and not working hard, black male children, because they see all too many black males standing on the corner, unemployed or going to jail as they get involved in selling drugs uh, and killing because, what, unemployment amongst black males in many places is above 50%. Absolutely. So children see these things, and we have to, instead of, you know, instead of people, people have to confront their fears. And when we think about, you know, we were enslaved, formerly enslaved, longer than we have been free in this area of the world, and think about the number of people who were beaten and tortured and mistreated and humiliated because they stepped out of line or stepped out of the bounds that the system of racism and white supremacy set guidelines. I mean, just think about it. There were times when black people would be tortured and punished if they were trying to read. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
So it's very important for people who classify themselves as white to, you know, be they always, you know, they always have some white person. Black people should be responsible. White people need to be responsible for their behavior and stop pretending that what they are doing does not have a negative impact on black people. But don't you think once um, black people are aware of what's going on and start implementing certain behaviors to change their lifestyles, then white people are going to have to start noticing and realizing that they can't control the people like they used to? Oh, well, people can be controlled now. (laughs) What happened when Barack Obama uh, became the presidential uh, nominee, white people started massively buying weapons and buying guns. Mm -hmm. They've had the largest upsurge in gun sales that has ever occurred. That's right now, you know, in the last several weeks. And so people can be controlled. People can be controlled with biological warfare. People can be controlled with chemical warfare. People can be controlled with the threat of death. So people can be controlled, but as a psychiatrist, see, when you talk about things in the open, it's like a family that's afraid to talk about sex. And so the children get into difficulty because nobody has been able to calmly sit down and talk to them about sex and sexual functioning. And so in the same way, to the extent that everybody is hush, 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 and they don't want to talk about racism, white supremacy, and so then you see racism, white supremacy being acted out. Absolutely. See, people can talk about the level of violence on television. Well, for a tiny minority of people, that's the white population on planet Earth, to maintain control and domination over nine-tenths of the people on the planet who are called non-white people, you have to have weapons and you have to engage in violence. And violence is taught through the television, through the video games. accustoming people to kill. And then somebody wants to say, well, the little eight-year-old boy, I forget what state he was in. I think it was Arizona. Arizona, right. Do you see who is supposed to? We don't know what the facts are, but he is supposed to have. I mean, it could have been a murder-suicide with those two adult men, and the child walked in on it. Do you see, but... If he did it, God forbid, if the child did it, where does he learn about guns and weapons? Well, I think one of the things that I heard about that incident was the father taught, was teaching the guy, uh, he taught the kid how to use a gun. Right. Well, you you see, it's, it's like I was looking at an article talking about teenage pregnancy and that the teenage females who look at a lot of the sexual material, and I'm not talking about pornographic, I'm talking about the sex sex in the city and all this stuff, that these are children who are more likely 
to begin to act out sexually or engage in sex and become pregnant. The television teaches. We don't have any problem when we look at commercials and, you know, people pay millions of dollars for advertisers because what people see, they end up going and doing. Absolutely. So if children see murder, 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 murder. They're being programmed. They are being programmed by the adults in their culture, in their society, that this is acceptable. Do you see? Or you have the leadership in a country. Oh, we don't like Saddam Hussein? Well, kill him. Kill his sons. Well, this doesn't, this doesn't pass children and young people. These are lessons that the culture, that the system and culture is teaching. Now, the challenge is, you know, we have been able to some extent to talk about sex, and people thought they couldn't talk about sex. See, and that, I maintain, is tied to racism. If people don't like the way they look, then the act that produces that appearance is degraded. You see, if people who classify themselves as white, as quiet as it's kept, don't like being white and so therefore they suntan, even if they get skin cancer, then they will demean and degrade the act of self-reproduction. Sex is a normal part of human functioning. Why should it be degraded, demeaned and degraded? But if deep down inside people don't like their appearance, then their culture will demean and degrade sex. Going back to something that you said earlier um, about the fear factor. About? Fear. Yes. You said in your book that all black adults will have to learn how to admit openly and honestly their fear of dying in the process of actively trying to destroy the injustice of global white supremacy. Do you think they're ready to do that? Well, see, this is why what you're doing, having discussions of this kind, uh, I commend you. It's very important. Or the people in the audience who are listening to this kind of discussion, not because it's me, but this is talking yes, mostly about... Mostly because it's you. <laughs> huh? Mostly because it's you. <laughs> no, no, but I'm... You see, talking about things that are important. Yes. Absolutely. You see, if I could, you know, if I had a magic wand, it's like all the silliness and foolishness would be cut out. And black people would be in a state of seriousness. It doesn't mean that you can't smile, but it's like being serious about themselves, respecting themselves, respecting one another, being serious about our lives, valuing our lives, talking about the things that are important for us to talk about. And Neely Fuller talks about that so exquisitely in his book, the importance of us when we get together, not just talking about stuff, shooting the breeze, having non-constructive conversations, but having conversations that are constructive and conducive to us getting out of this situation that we're in as a race of people. Absolutely. See, absolutely. Do you see, but a lot of, uh, and I say it is, it's ignorance and it's also fear. Mm -hmm. 
do, do you see? In other words, if we try to solve our problems, we're going to be killed. Well, that may be uh, a reality since there are threats. I mean, as I said, Barack Obama is being threatened. Do you see, anybody, any black person who wants to criticize Barack Obama or any white person, he has to be one of the most courageous people oh, indeed. in the society. He has to, he's brilliant, so he knows he's facing death threats every day. His family, his children are facing death threats. So he has to be not only one of the most intelligent, but he is one of the most courageous people to be out there trying to make a difference for all people under the threat of death. Absolutely. But don't you think, though, that um, it's a lot of pressure on, well, obviously it's a lot of pressure on him because he's a black man, for one thing. But don't you think as as ordinary people, we look up to him sort of like a savior to save us from uh, our current conditions? But don't you also think that we as an as individual people have a responsibility in our own circle of influence in our own neighborhoods and communities to to be the change and to make the change that we look to other people for well barack obama can't save black people mhm <laughs> he perhaps can be more sensitive than many other people right to black people's situations but black people have to solve their problems yes we have to solve our problems. Every single black person ought to be looking at himself, herself, as a leader, responsible for doing his and her part in solving the problems on this planet. Barack Obama can't make people respect sex and respect themselves and decide to use protection so that they are not passing HIV AIDS that I believe is biological warfare yes. until proven other forms, but it's rampant in our community. Mm-hmm. He cannot make people stop and think, am I ready to take care of a child for 25 years? Do, do you see, my formula is that, you know, if I, uh, if I had another magic wand, I would say no black people have sex until they're married and before they are 30. And they don't get married until the women are 30 and the men are 35. What do they do with those first 30 and 35 years? They go to school. They go to school. Absolutely. And prepare themselves to function and prepare themselves to take care of two children. Because my formula is 30, 35, 2, no closer together than three years apart. Why? Because we are living under conditions of stress and oppression. Absolutely. One of the things you also say in your book is that first and foremost, let it be the responsibility of every black person to know and understand how the dynamic of white supremacy dominates. Domination is expressed in all areas of people activities. And then you go into the areas that Millie Fuller outlines in his book, which is economics, education, entertainment, law, labor, politics, religion, sex, and war. And I love this. A a prerequisite to overcoming fear is the growth of self and group respect. 
disrespect cannot develop as blacks strive to blame one another for symptoms for the symptoms of their common oppression. And we have a caller on the line, uh, um, Dr. Welsing. Fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, caller from the 631 area code. What's your name, please, and where are you calling from? name is Vanessa. Hi, Vanessa. How you doing? Good. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing okay. Hi, Dr. Welsing. How are you? Good. Uh, I hope you're doing well this evening. Yes, thank you. I, uh, good. Uh, well, I've, I've listened to a lot of your lectures already, so a lot of the stuff you're saying I'm, I I completely understand. I've been kind of studying on my own for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the questions I have, and I, I posted it in the um, in this little uh, web chat thing, but I, I really want to get an answer to it because my I guess I'm, I feel like I'm, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm an advanced student, but I really want to try to get some answers so that I can start moving forward with what I do know. Um, so my understanding is that our goal is to force the white collective to direct violence because essentially they they are having way too much. Let me let me ask you to slow down and just say that a little bit more slowly so I can hear. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Um, now, well, well, what happened was last week, um, Mr. Fuller was on last week on the same on the same show, mm-hmm. uh, same time, and we were talking. We had essentially gotten to a part of the conversation where we started talking about, okay, well, what what can be done, or what are we trying to do here? What are we trying to do exactly? And I basically stated at that time that the goal, should our goal be to drive white people to direct violence on us based on certain, you know, if we change our behaviors, change all are the things. Are you saying drive white people to engage in violence against us? Well, I would say uh, direct violence, I guess. I would say more so than indirect violence. Because, I mean, that's what they're doing now, but I'm saying that don't we really want them to kind of like just bring out like what, how they really feel about all this stuff and the best way to do that is to change our you know behaviors around? Because essentially that's all they're doing right now is really just enjoying the fact that they can practice this stuff, make us look like fools out there, like buffoons. It's, it's really our well, goal to uh, let me just say this again, that if racism is a system of behavior produced consciously and subconsciously for white genetic survival, then the logical expectation is that they are going to continue to do what they are doing. Now, to the extent that instead of black people looking up in the sky, and thinking that help is going to come from the sky, if they say, well, wait a minute, we have to learn and study about exactly what is going on and figure out what we need to do to neutralize. In other words, if you look at black television and you see black people on television and you see women bumping and grinding and men grabbing their genitals as if they're almost having sexual intercourse on the stage and they're just playing around with sex which teaches black people who are looking at it don't take sex seriously just play with sex just be irresponsible Now, this is what the system of racism, white supremacy, is supporting. There could be programs on television 
that are teaching children to read and teaching children mathematics. You see, but we don't have that. No, we have all of this irresponsible buffoon and clowning behavior. Let's say that if black people begin to understand what that behavior is all about, and they say, well, no, this is, this is how the system of racism is supported. If we engage in this behavior, this is holding up the system of racism, white supremacy, that must see black people in demeaning and degraded roles. So then black people say, no, we don't do that anymore. We don't engage in that. CNN, for example, put D.L. Hoogley on to be a buffoon and a clown on a station that is for news. Exactly. Why did they do it? I maintain they did it so that he can be the black person who is demeaning Barack Obama. But who is paying him to do it? Absolutely, and that's what it does. White people are paying him to do it. Now, it's tragic that he doesn't have enough understanding to say, no, I'm not not going to be clowning and trying to demean Barack Obama or his family. I'm not going to do that. I know you're paying me large sums of money, but I can do without it because my self-respect does not allow me to do that. Do you see, or just like black people can call CNN and say, no, we don't want to see demeaning images of ourselves. Well, let's say everybody decided to do that. Everyone decided to say, okay, we'll, we will do our jobs, but we're not going to do it at the expense of, of making our image look bad or making any other non-white or black person's image look bad. So now at this point they're saying, okay, well, they're not going to, Act the way we want them to act because we, you know, we have nothing to clown about because they're not, act, they're not, they're being very serious with us. So now they're at this point where what are they going to do? You know, commit biological warfare against us? You know, well, do, do, you see, that's that's up to people who classify themselves as white. But if people are being serious about their lives and what's going on, then you pay attention Absolutely. to what is going on around you. Absolutely. You see, if you're going to be like they're running that program on a couple of the channels about Jonestown, do you see where black people just went blindly following some white man who told them he was God? Now, I don't think that he was acting alone. You can't take a thousand people out of the country and get their welfare and Social Security checks without the government knowing about it. Talking about Jim Jones's Jonestown in Guyana, D.C., but what did he have the people doing? Clapping and getting into their praise. A whole lot of emotionalism and no thinking. Working themselves into a frenzy. And working themselves into a frenzy. Not thinking, but just clapping and singing and clapping and singing. Some people understand that this is a brainwashing technique. There are mega churches where this kind of thing goes on. Don't think about reality. Just get into your praise and clap and sing. Now, I'm baptized Baptist and christened AME. 
But at the same time, we have the responsibility of living constructively on this planet. The creator of the universe gave us brains, eyes to see, ears to hear. And we are supposed to be into respect of ourselves. I say that, that, you know, if somebody believes in the creative force and we are products of the creative force, if I don't respect myself, how can I possibly say I respect the creator or I am a spiritual person if I don't respect myself? Take myself seriously. Take my group of people seriously. Take sex seriously, because that magnificent act is the act where we can engage in procreation, reproducing ourselves. So we have a whole lot of challenges and things that we could constructively think about and be determined that, uh, you know, we're going to change things on this planet. And people need to think about the creative force made black people the mothers and fathers of everybody on this planet. We're the first people. And everybody came from us, including white people, because there are mutations to albinism, a genetic deficiency state. This is not Francis Welsing's genetics. This is the science of genetics. And so it's like, you know, sometimes parents will come and to the psychiatrist and say, you know, the children are acting up and tearing up the house. And the psychiatrist has the responsibility of helping parents get into their appropriate role. And since we are the mothers and fathers of this planet, we need to get into our appropriate roles. Parents have to be responsible people. And I don't have any doubt, you know, if we keep talking about it and thinking about it, there's no reason why we cannot begin to modify our behavior. I mean, black people during the civil rights era, people gave their lives, sustained permanent injury because they wanted to change things, and things need to continue to be changed and make this planet. You know, you look at the planet, it's a beautiful planet, but what's happening on the planet is not beautiful. War and killing and and that kind of thing, people with no health care, children with not, you know, magnificent education so that they can be all that they can be and and develop into solving some of the problems that are yet to be solved. Yeah. So, you know, so really now, it's just a, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, that's okay, I'm sorry. Go. No, go right yeah. ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I was just going to say, so some of the some of the applications, uh, or some of the things that we need to start executing, I guess, right away. Um, you know, not shopping for the holidays. We shouldn't even be buying presents. Well, those, those few people who are lucky enough to be able to, <laughs> to buy presents, you know, but if people focus on, you know, um, helping those people, like Neely Fuller defines justice as no one is mistreated. And those who need the most help get the most help. Absolutely. And so we can look around and, and see people who seem to need help. And, uh, you know, somebody may know somebody down the block. That old lady looks like, 
you know, she's not going to have enough to eat. Do something constructive and positive for her. Or little children, you know, give a child a toy or whatever to make that child feel happy and feel appreciated. Speak to the child. So people can find small ways that, you know, they can practice justice on a small scale. Uh, you know, black people need to engage in, you know, a lot of practice of being courteous and respectful to one another. Those, you know, people need to get those ten stops that Neely Fuller talks about. Stop cursing one another. Stop name-calling one another. Stop being discourteous and disrespectful to one another. Um you know, racism in in medicine and health, uh, people are talking about health disparities that exist in the black population. Um, black people have more hypertension, more diabetes, more heart disease, more kidney disease, et cetera. And I maintain it is directly, those health disparities are directly related to the 24-7 stress of racism and white supremacy. Mm-hmm that even realizing that because we are under stress, we tend to overeat. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. Well, instead of racism being blind to racism, white supremacy, people can, we are in a system of racism, white supremacy. It is putting major stress on black people. Well, people can do other things to relieve stress than just eating. Yeah. You see, but people do things that help them feel relaxed and help them feel comfortable. You know, black people can cook, so we enjoy eating. But if that produces overeating, and, you know, just with people wanting to, well, let me think about, I could go out and exercise. I could just take long walks every day. And walking produces endorphins and helps people feel better. And so instead of overeating, well, let me exercise. This will be helpful to me, helpful in maintaining my health. But I do understand what the pressure and stress of racism, what it is coming from, and so I want to direct my energy and attention to replacing racism with justice in my own small way as an individual person. You know, if a person just decides, I'm not going to curse another black person. I'm not going to gossip about another black person. I'm not going to be discourteous. Let's say I'm a clerk in a store. A black person comes Instead of me acting like I'm ignoring them, let me learn how to say, can I help you? But you, but you know what, Dr. Welsing? I see that happening now with our people since um, Barack Obama has been elected president. I see black people looking each other in the eye more, smiling more at each other, being more friendly toward one another. You, you so, might well be right. That's been that's been my experience so far. You might be right. I was just in the bank today, and a gentleman turned around and he said, "How are you today?" Mm-hmm. So, uh, because I do think that this lifted 
the ceiling of possibility. Definitely. But imagine if, you know, how much blood pressure will be reduced if we were, instead of just relating to one another from the stress of racism, white supremacy, which we're blind to, Mm -hmm. people just know they feel irritable. Absolutely. Or they feel angry, and so they take it out on somebody who's close by to them, which more likely than not is another black person. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so if people begin to acknowledge the reality and the existence of racism, and people just say, well, every day I can counter it uh, by doing certain simple behaviors, simple behaviors that magnify my self-respect and show another person that I have respect for them. They are the reflection of me. Absolutely. Imagine how much more comfortable it would be. Yes. Yes. I I wanted to go back to the health issue because um, I mentioned this last week as well. I I think that to add to everything that you said, we have to question everything, and that includes... I'm sorry to interrupt you, but Vanessa, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but um, I'd like to take a few minutes to um, take a break right now um, and give Dr. Welsing a moment to um, refresh herself and maybe get a glass of water or something, if that's okay, if you don't mind holding on, Vanessa. That's okay. We'll we'll take a two-minute break, Dr. Welsing. Is that okay? That's fine. Okay, and we'll resume back in about two minutes. I am happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. Five score years ago, A great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today signed the Emancipation Proclamation. This momentous decree came as a great beacon light of hope to millions of Negro slaves who had been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of their captivity. But 100 years later, the Negro still is not free. 100 years later, The life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. One hundred years later, the Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. One hundred years later, The Negro is still languished in the corners of American society and finds himself in exile in his own land. And so we've come here today to dramatize a shameful condition 
In a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of habits. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring this sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. But we refuse to believe that the Bank of Justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. And so we've come to cash this. Thank you for listening to Far Rock Live. I am your host, Shirley. And our special guest today is Dr. Francis Chris Welsing, author of the book, The Isis Paper, The Keys to Colors. Dr. Welsing? Yes. I have a consistent question that keeps popping up in the chat room. And before I, I ask it, it, it's probably, it'll pertain to um, one of the essays that you wrote on the politics behind black male passivity, um, bisexuality, and homosexuality. Yes. Do you want to speak on that for a moment? What's your question? Um, the question that this person is asking is, They'd like for you to share your views on non-whites who engage in homosexual behavior. Well, see, we don't really have all of the answers as to sexual orientation. People really don't choose their sexual orientation. They wake up and they find, you know, this is my inclination and or this is my inclination. Uh but within the framework of understanding the system of racism and its specific mandate of white genetic survival by any means necessary. And so for a long time I have thought that we are seeing an epidemic in black male bisexuality, homosexuality. And the question is, where is it coming from? Now, one thing, when you see large numbers of fathers of male children being removed from the homes from, because of unemployment, no jobs, and so if you don't have a job as an adult male, you cannot perform the function of husbanding and fathering. And so with males removed from the home, 
male children from a very early age are just being exposed to the behavior of adult females. It could be mothers, aunts, grandmothers. And so how I am supposed to behave as a male person, that's lost to me because it's not just in my house, but it's every house on the block that has the same situation. Or it looks to me like females have an easier time. I'm speaking from the vantage point of a young male. Mm -hmm. That females look like, well, they have a better opportunity. And so subconsciously, I start thinking, I need some earrings, or I need my hair hanging down like females. And I don't even have a clue as to where this behavior is coming from. Or if I feel father hunger, do you see if there's a sense of I don't have enough masculinity? then that will lead me to the behaviors that we call male homosexual behavior, phallus in mouth, phallus in anus. And now that's just that, you know, at that level of thinking about why are we seeing this epidemic. Uh, and I maintain the system of racism, white supremacy, this drive to genetically survive, white genetic survival, when the threat is the black adult male who has power to cause white genetic annihilation, has the genetic power to cause white genetic annihilation, well, then you can see that if black males are pushed into a feminization, bisexuality, and homosexuality, that becomes an answer for the system that's ultimate goal is white genetic survival by whatever necessary means. Am I making myself clear? Absolutely. You see, in other words, when you think about to put a man in prison and hold him there for one year, one man, thirty-five dollars to $40,000, $45,000 a year, that man could be given employment, paid $45,000 a year, which he could support himself, he could support a wife, and he could support two children. But the system feels no, it's better to lock him up and to remove him from functionality within the system, and then I can be assured of white genetic survival. Now, they are finding out that, you know, certain chemicals that are in plastics, uh, bisphenols, that uh, these will cause the, the feminization of amphibians and fish. Well, if the system wanted to uh, effeminize black males, could the system think of, well, let's put this in the water? I mean, we, we already know where the mindset that created Tuskegee syphilis experiment, and as far as many people are concerned, many black people, some white people, that even HIV-AIDS is man-made biological warfare. And so we have that epidemic going on that is passed sexually from one person to another. And so these are the things that we have to 
look at and think about if we want to solve these problems on the planet. But I maintain that if black people, you know, in other words, people classify themselves as white, if they feel they needed a system for their survival, it's reasonable to think that they will continue in that mode. But black people, in terms of countering it, well, we have to organize our behavior so that we end up with male persons being in the home and being able to husband and father. This means that they have to stay in school and they have to demand employment because we have depression level of unemployment in the black community. Do you see? But with people thinking about and understanding what the system dynamics are and that if we want to have healthy family structure, that males have to be encouraged to go to school, stay in school, supported, staying in school, encouraged not to prematurely produce families, but this goes to uh, male and female education and that people are not going to create families until they are ready to take care of those families, and they are not going to produce throwaway children. I'm talking about, you know, having children and then ending up throwing them to uh, welfare. Because if you're a psychiatrist and you are dealing with the aftermath of children who, when they were children, were dislocated and taken away from their families because people tried to start having children at 14 and 15 and 16 and 17. Right. And it's impossible for a teenager to take care of a child for 25 years. Absolutely, or for them to understand the role of being exactly. a parent. Even some adults don't fully comprehend what their role is. Well, see, this is why, again, taking us, embracing ourselves, respecting ourselves, and taking ourselves seriously and understanding first and foremost what is the powerful external reality? And this is when Neely Fuller says, if you do not understand white supremacy racism, what it is and exactly how it works, everything else that you understand will only confuse you. <laughs> and that is absolutely, and this is why black people greet each other by saying, what's happening? Hey, what's happening? Because we don't know what's going on. Wow. That's the way we greet each other. Hey, what's happening? One of the things also that you mentioned in a book is the ultimate role of this vital social unit, which is the family structure, is to instruct the children as to how adult males and females function, usually as harmoniously together for the maximum development of the people. And then you outline what the role, the major role and task of the father in a relationship to children is to teach is to teach adult male role functioning through daily example with love and kindness expressed toward the children, love and kindness being essential to efficient learning. But most black men don't exhibit that, the loving kindness thing. They look at that as being a feminine characteristic. Well, I, w I, w I wouldn't go so far as to say most. I certainly could say many because of what has happened to them within the system, what has happened to us collectively. The system for white genetic survival is not a system for the maximal development of the black genetic and constitutional potential. 
is for the contrary. You see, for the inferiorization of black people. And, uh, you know, on television last week, there was an adult male who was with a, like an 18-month-old male child, and he was actually kicking the child down the aisle in a store. Oh, my goodness. Hitting and punching and kicking this child on the ground. Now, he stood in front of the judge and talked about how he was abused and himself as a child. You see, but this destructiveness that is coming out of the system. Right. And so the system, I say, based on my understanding, I don't see how the system is going to change itself, nor should we be waiting. We have to understand the direction of the system and the power and the force of the system. Absolutely, and in that situation, most likely that child is going to be taken out of that house home and put in some institution, and then the child subsequently learns how to protect violence. Well, not only that, can we not see the parallel when we were in formal slavery you see where children were separated from their parents and sold to another plantation, and the child grows up without the biological mother and the biological father. That's just being duplicated every single day. Absolutely. Do you see where, because you have, you know, time has passed, but the dynamics of racism and white supremacy, the goal objective of white genetic survival, remains the same. And so you just have a a variation on the theme of the same process. And this is what we must understand. When I was listening to Dr. Martin Luther King's speech, I'm just thinking to myself, now what if instead of all the clowning and the silly radio programs that, you know, that some black people have, what if King's speeches, or the speeches that were made by other black people that are uplifting and edifying, what if that was on the air 24 hours a day? Well, we can start doing that in our own homes. Well, do you see, that certainly is an excellent, do you see, as opposed to some music that is talking about bitches and hoes and gangsters and thugs. Absolutely. And again, that the, the maturity level of the parents makes a big difference because you have a lot of times you have kids raising kids, you have parents who are um, in, in most of our communities, low-income communities, strung out on drugs or involved in all kind of um, non-productive activities, and you have kids growing up in these homes mimicking and duplicating what they see their parents doing on a daily basis. See, well, again, it's like I believe that, like I say in my office, anybody who's using excess alcohol or drugs is treating depression until proven otherwise. Now, we have a lot of depression Mm -hmm. in the black community because we have dependency deprivation, which means that children, when they are young, are not getting their emotional needs met because the system of racism doesn't set up the structure. I mean, if people are looking for employment, looking for decent housing, looking for safe communities, looking for decent schools, 
because the system determines they can be in one community, but they're not going to be in another. That the system is responsible, but if the system is not going to produce the corrective, we have to ourselves produce the corrective through our understanding. Absolutely. Vanessa, did you have another question for Dr. Walsing? Uh, well, I just had basically a comment, but um, if you wanted to elaborate on it, that's fine. I, I was just listening, and some of the things that came to mind was, you know, something that I was going to start saying before the break, and that was questioning everything. Really, that's really what we stop doing, and we have to start doing that. You know, why do, why do we have to eat three times a day? Why do we have to eat snacks, if at all? You know, why, do, why, are, we going, why are our kids going to school for 12 years, and, you know, when they can learn a lot of things that they're learning in five to seven years, you know. So there's a lot of things that we have to begin to start questioning as well. And I think that would be a good step forward as well. I don't know. What do you think, Dr. Wilson? Well, I would just say, you know, before going far afield, let's get down to the really basics. You know, basic things like when are people ready to take care of the next generation. Do you see what kind of preparation does one need to effectively parent children for 25 years? How many children can one most effectively take care of under the conditions of oppression? Is it eight or is it two? Do you see what I'm saying? I have another caller on the line from the 404 area code. Caller, your name, please. Uh, I'm sorry. This is Howard calling back in. I'm I'm just actually calling in to listen to the rest of the show because I know it was supposed to be going off at 9, and I know sometimes Blog Talk Radio will just, you know, cut it off, but I can still hear it over the phone. So Okay. I'm All just right. listening. Well, we have about 23 more minutes to go. Thank you for calling back in. Oh, Okay. Well, you know, yes, I did have a question. Uh, I, I remember one of the things that that was in the ISIS papers was about the whole concept of um, the AIDS virus and how. Uh, let me see, because it's been a, a lot of years, but there was a, a certain amount of uh, uh, some virus was given to. A lot of different uh, 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 countries, and they were developing it for biological warfare or something. I think there were, I, I believe there was a reference to an article in the uh, Washington Post. Uh, if, if I could get her to expound on that some. Well, you see, just in, in terms of being trained in medicine, you know, strange viruses uh, don't just show up that wipe out large numbers of people, and especially when the scientists who uh, supposedly found the virus started talking about it came from a green monkey in Africa, and African people had sex with the green monkey, or they ate the green monkey. Now, this is just outrageous reasoning, and so when people who are so-called educated come out with outlandish statements like that, you understand that it is a lie. Oh, yeah. 
And why would they have to lie? Because biological weapons are created. And, we, you know, there are all kinds of books where you can read about biological warfare weapons, whether it's a higher form of killing by uh, Paxman or a survey of chemical and biological warfare by John Cookson and Judith Nottingham. There's all kind of material. And so when you see the dilemma uh, that one could say is the dilemma of the white minority in their desire to genetically survive in the presence of a non-white global majority, and even if just one just focused on the Tuskegee syphilis experiment and knew that that was something that was conducted by the government for 32 years against right. black people, this is a mindset. Yeah. But I, I, whatever, whatever means are necessary. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it would be like... Uh, after Semites of the Jewish religion experienced what they did under Adolf Hitler because he said they were not white people in Germany and that that was why that he was going to destroy them. And in Europe, he was going to get rid of them because they were not white. And so if Semites of the Jewish religion, if somebody comes along and starts lining them up and telling them to get on a train, and go somewhere, they would, you know, justifiably have a lot of questions. Right. Where are you taking me and why? Well, in the same way, I mean, now they lost six million people. Hitler had planned to kill 11 million. Mm. Do, Do you see? And so they remain, like they say, never again, they remain on high alert. Well, I say this is the same way that black people need to be looking at Tuskegee syphilis experiment and HIV AIDS and anything that is killing large numbers of black people. Oh, there's no question about it. So you don't just dismiss it and say, oh, that's Dr. Welsing. Oh no, I, I didn't dismiss it, but but you, I, no, I, I didn't believe mean you personally. Oh right, right. But I I remember that in the book, uh, and 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 this kind of I guess tied into the so-called green monkey syndrome, supposedly uh, people having sex with green monkeys, et cetera. But uh, I believe in the book you had said something about the heads of some of the uh, the largest uh, countries, probably the G8 or whatever, uh, that they had been studying the green monkey and the virus from it or whatever and its implication in biological warfare, and they had shipped supposedly something uh, to all of these countries so that they could actually uh, develop this particular virus. Well, see, people can create viruses, and they can create ethno-specific viruses, viruses that are specific to a given group of people based on the genetic makeup of that particular group of people. Mm. You see, and so there are people who have written and said that the HIV virus was packaged in the polio virus. Right. or the smallpox virus, you see. So howsoever, in other words, I just maintain that black people is like based on the history. 
mm-hmm. based mm-hmm. on the mindset, the same mindset that thinks about killing Barack Obama. Right. And, you know, as far as that polio virus is concerned, there was a, a guy that actually had a documentary on Sundance Channel. Uh, I believe it was entitled The Origin of AIDS. And I, I, I saw, like, the, the last part of it, and then I looked for it again and never could find it. And I searched on the Internet, and I found, like, little pieces of it. And the guy that had actually done the documentary was under pressure uh, to... And, and really, just from what I understand, just couldn't, you know, release it anymore. I mean, it's it's kind of like been banned. Dr. Wilson, <laughs> you know? we have another caller on the line from the seven seven zero area code. Okay, caller, what's your name, please? Yes, uh, good day, Dr. Wilson. Good evening, actually. My name is Michael Fisher. How are you doing? Fine, thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Um, <clears throat> I, I came in late, so I don't know uh, whether somebody asked that question yet, but. Um, uh, I have a question in regards to the recent election of Barack Obama. Yes. Um, <clears throat> what is it? Uh, what do you think? Um, why a significant number of uh, white people voted for Mr. Obama as president? What do you think their motivation was? Well, I think that uh, those are people who had uh, moved to some extent away from can't vote for a black man, number one. Number two, that he was the most intelligent candidate. And we've had eight years of confusion at the head of government. You see, somebody who can't even speak in a paragraph. And so there's some people that were able to see this person. Looks like they could do a better job. Now, I would say that the test for the people who, the people who classify themselves as white and voted for Barack Obama, if they were asked the question, do you want to replace the system of racism, white supremacy, the system that gives people who classify themselves as white extensive privileges over the people who are classified as non-white? Do you want that system replaced with a system of justice? Do you, do you see, so I can vote for Barack Obama, but I may not want the system of white racism, white supremacy replaced. And that is the test for them. Mm-hmm. And um, do you see any significance at all as far as the, the uh, demise of the system is concerned? Um, in the election of uh, Mr. Obama to president, do you... Well, as I said earlier, you may not have uh, been to that point that Barack Obama is receiving all kinds of death threats. Mm -hmm. And nobody is talking about it in the media. Do you see? So silence is to condone. It's like when Adolf Hitler was talking... uh, prior to the Second World War about killing Semites of the Jewish religion to the extent that the German people, the majority of the German people, didn't object. They were condoning the concept of killing. Do you see? And so unless large numbers of people who classify themselves as white start saying, wait a minute, what is this? 
what is this that is uh, going on? And, and white people taking responsibility for the behavior of other white people. Why should Barack Obama have to go around in fear of his life being taken or fear of his family being harmed? President Bush didn't have to go around with that fear, not at the level of threats that Barack Obama is receiving. So that is the test. It's one thing when the economy has gone so far south that it is beginning to look like the Great Depression. And so for people to say, wait a minute, we better put this other man in, because we've had eight years of the people who have taken us to this point. So we're going to put him in. But does that mean that uh, the system of racism, white supremacy, has been replaced? I say absolutely no, it has not been replaced. But they, Do you think they want us to think that, though? that things are getting better as far as Well, you know, you've had a lot of articles come out, uh, you know, talking about the end of race as we know it. I mean, because, first of all, uh, based on demonstration that people who classify themselves as white have demonstrated that they don't really want to talk about racism or it makes them extremely uncomfortable yeah. to talk about racism. Do you see? So to talk about something has come to an end that you're afraid to talk about doesn't make much sense. <laughs> that, uh, and that's a scary phrase to me. It's like, okay, what's what's really behind that? See, that would be like believing in magic. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> or them giving up the power, huh? <laughs> but um, you made some really interesting points, and I'm back to um, this essay that you wrote uh, on black children. Um, you, you say that the, um, black people can begin to halt the process of black inferiorization if the now dysfunctional female-dominated survival units can be turned into true family units, and that two parent balance, units. I'm sorry. Two parent. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. A balance must be established between the adult male role of breadwinning and the female role of child socialization, with equal respect for both roles. You see, but then we have to deal with the fact that the system of racism is waging direct warfare against black males. Do you see? And has, um, what shall we call it, uh, a clear roadway, highway to put them in prison instead of giving them jobs. Absolutely. So this has to be addressed. See, we we hear, we hear all kinds of conversations about black people becoming entrepreneurs. You know, black people need jobs, and black men in particular need jobs. They don't need to be going to prison. Right. They need to have jobs, and that needs to be at the point number two on black people's agenda. Point number one on the agenda being the recognition and the acknowledgement and understanding that we are in a system of racism, white supremacy, that is about white genetic survival. Absolutely. And that because of the white genetic survival theme, that means that the black man is the enemy of the state. And the attack on the black man, which is 
what sends them to prison and sends them to, you know, has them unemployed is causing the collapse of the black family. And you also went on to say in regard to point number two that there must begin a black men's liberation movement for salary and job opportunities equal in all respects with that of white males. Absolutely. I cannot, you know, modify that or elaborate on that. <laughs> I mean, that's point blank, huh? <laughs> that speaks for itself. But... um because we have about nine minutes left, I'm sorry, eight minutes left uh, to the show, but I just wanted to bring up these points before I, I ask you the closing question. But these are these are important issues that I, I want to go on a record as stating for the people who are listening in that room. And I also admonish you guys to get this book if you don't already have it. It's the ISIS papers, the keys to the color. I mean, just like you have your Bible, this is a must-have for all black people to read. Well, anybody in that matter. But you say when these fundamental issues are placed in perspective, when black men and women are struggling to get these objectives that have everything to do with the development of the black family life, black male children will be able to grow up respecting themselves as future men. Black female children will grow up respecting themselves as future women, supported, protected, and respected by their own men, and they will learn to respect respect black men as black men. See, one of the things that I really think is most beautiful about uh, Barack Obama and the presidency is that a black man and a black woman educated in respecting themselves and one another and respecting and loving their children. Absolutely. That this is a wonderful model in front of us. Sometimes I believe that, uh, you know, it's all cosmically determined. (laughs) (laughs) That you have uh, such a package that people can look at. I had a child, a male child told me, Dr. Welsing, if I just had if I had a father, at least he could show me what goes on under the hood of a car. I had had another child say to me, Doctor Welsing, I think I could do my homework if I just had an official father. All these black male children who are not performing in school, these children are depressed and they are suffering from father hunger. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do, do you see, people will say it's like, uh, you know, a lot of times male children come to psychiatrists because some adult says they are bad. And I tell children, I don't know any bad children, but I know children who are sad. And if children are sad and depressed, then their behavior becomes disturbing, you see. But the question is, is what is happening to the children? And it's not about blaming the parents. We are all victims of a system that we have not been given the opportunity to fully understand. But when do we stop being victims, though? No, well, you're a victim until you understand that you are a victim and you decode what's going on. That's no different than having a a football team that's a losing team, meaning there's something yet to be learned. 
about the game of football that they haven't mastered yet. So they go on the field and they don't quite know what to do. You see, in extreme cases, they go on the football field with a tennis racket. And that's us. That's any black person, I don't care whether they have had no education or whether they are a college professor. If the black person is saying that racism doesn't exist in the presence of the existence of a powerful system of racism and white supremacy, they are engaging in maintaining the system. Now, I know that you can't teach in a university or a college as a black professor and talk about racism and white supremacy, not as a system that you can really understand. They can mention racism, but they cannot talk about it in depth. But to the extent, you know, whether it's politician or anybody, any black person who is thinking that we don't need to understand racism in depth is helping to maintain that destructive reality. And then you go on to say black people must not only commit themselves to combating inferiorization through the struggle for maximal development, we must begin to establish standards of academic achievement and codes of behavioral conduct for black children. And these standards and codes will serve as a fundamental basis for developing black self and group respect. Without true self-respect, all efforts for achievement will be in vain. And um, you, this is a good goal for all parents to have, that all black children before the age of six should be taught the following fundamental exercises in black self-respect by black adult examples in the home, school, church, and neighborhoods. And then you go on to outline those ten stop doing, the stop calling, uh, name-calling, stop cursing at one another, stop squabbling with one another, stop gossiping about one another, stop snitching on one another, stop being discourteous and disrespectful, stop robbing one another, stop stealing, stop fighting, stop killing, stop using and selling drugs to one another, and stop throwing trash and dirt on the streets and in places where black people live, work, and learn. See, imagine it, just imagine that if we woke up tomorrow morning and because black people understood racism, that everybody understood, well, this is my duty for the day. Can you imagine how we would feel as a people during that next 24 hours or, you know, the 24 hours after that? See, be, let me just fin- add to that. Stop making black children think that as children they can be adequate mothers and fathers. Mm. Stop pretending that racism doesn't exist. Mm. Stop allowing black, brown, red, and yellow people being divided by the system of racism, white supremacy. Now, those are, you know, those five or six I added. Stop using and selling drugs to one another. I added those to Neely Fuller's basic ten stops. And and lastly, um, Dr. Welsing, because a lot of these essays were written like in the early 70s and 80s, so how has um, your perspective changed um, since we're in a whole new century right now based on your observations of life then and now? Well, we're still, in other words, uh, 
Neely Fuller has called this the longest war, the war of racism, white supremacy against the people that are classified. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hello? Hello? Yes. Classified as non-white. So the war continues, and um, so I don't feel that I have a, you know, any different understanding of what the war is all about. This is what it is about. And, uh, you know, we have to keep working on it as we as individuals and as a collective of people as we can do. Mm-hmm. So have black people improved much since then? Well, in the in the last 20 years, you know, there have been setbacks because the system has been able, black people went from the late 1960s and and early 70s from black is beautiful, black pride, black self-respect to calling themselves dogs and bitches and hoes and gangsters and thugs and dogs. Do you see? So, no, black people are not going to the back of the bus. But the system of racism, white supremacy, has been able to seduce black people because they don't understand racism, white supremacy, paying them to be self-destructive. So it's forward, back, forward, back, forward, back, forward, two steps, back, three, in some instances, or forward, seven. And we have to see what happens next. Absolutely. Um, do you feel like taking one more call? Uh, yes. Okay, I have a caller on the line from the 631 area code. What's your name and where you're calling from? Oh, it's just uh, Vanessa again. I just didn't, I wanted to make sure I listened to the whole entire conversation. Okay. All right, well, thank you, Vanessa, for calling back. And that's going to do it for our show today. Thank you so much, Dr. Walsing. And I hope I can get you back on the show again. Oh, sure. Thank you for having me. And again, I commend you commend you for having this kind of discussion and commend your audience for listening. Well, and thank you, and it's been such an honor to have you visit with us today. And we My really pleasure. And we appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Have a good evening. You as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, hello? Oh, I didn't hang up on myself. Okay, well, that's the show for tonight. Thank you guys so much for calling in to everyone that called in. Thank you to all the people who joined us in the guest room, in the, in the chat room today. Um, as you know, our guest today was um, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing. And in closing, I'd just like to say that, you know, hopefully it's been a lot of information here. But I don't want this just to be a good show where you get good information. Take the information, go into the archives, listen to the show again, and assimilate this stuff into your mind so that ultimately our behaviors will change. You know, change isn't going to happen overnight. Some things it it can do, but we have to implement these behaviors so that um, our lives can change, our communities will be better off, we'll be better parents to our children, and better uh, human beings in this society. I'm your host, Shirley. Thank you so much for tuning into the show today, um, and that'll do it for tonight. Thank you, Vanessa. Thank you, 478, for listening. Jeff? All right. Is yeah, that you, Jeff? Yeah, thank you.
Yeah, this is me. How's it going? Thanks for hanging in there. No, no, no problem. You see, you came cutting off, but I try to stick with you there. Excellent show, excellent show. I appreciate it. You want to give a shout-out because you do an excellent show also. I mean, I, I, my hat's off to you for what you're doing with the Troy Davis thing, keeping everybody informed and update, up-to-date about what's going on with that situation. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your show? Well, uh, as you said, we definitely try to keep the community awareness up. And uh, in regards to Troy Davis, we wanted to get as much support as possible. And if you haven't heard, he's been granted a hearing, and we're so excited about that. Oh, but get out! That, that, oh, wow! That, that, that brother's going to come home. So that, You know that's good. right. That is so phenomenal. And you yeah. should be proud because you've been really working hard on that case. <laughs> You and his sister, yeah. ma'am. I mean, I much love to you for what you're doing, and I appreciate yeah, that. And what's the name excited. of your show, and when do you come on so that people can tune in and, get, and you know keep up to what's going on with that? The name of my show is One of Many Men Talk Radio, and uh, we broadcast uh, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on uh, Thursdays, and uh, you can catch us then. Definitely. Thank you so much, and I look forward to talking with you soon. All right, then. You have a good night. You as well. All right. Good night. That's it.